Welcome to the APAC edition of the Cineos Health podcast, where we'll dive deep into topics of relevance to the Asia-Pacific region. I'm Robbie Chana, VP of Business Development for Asia-Pacific at Cineos Health, and your host for this series. Today, I'll be joined by Stéphane Guteau, GM for Japan, and we'll be talking about overall healthcare trends, pharmaceutical trends in Japan. Up next on the APAC edition. Good afternoon, Stéphane. Good afternoon, Robbie. Perhaps you can give us some background in terms of what you're doing at Sinios Health. I'm uh, the general manager for Sinios Health, and I'm managing the clinical side of the organization. And I've been working in Japan for a couple of years. Uh, I just joined recently Sinios Health in September. It's a new role for me. In that role, I'm here to develop, support, and lead the uh, Japan strategy and to support as well and to take care of the folks that are working with us. You know, Japan is a very unique market for pharmaceutical drug development. It's a very important market globally. As you've come into the role, looking at the services that we can provide to our customers, where do you see some of the challenges or strengths that we can bring to our customers in the region? From a clinical research perspective, I think there has been a lot of efforts, at least in Japan in the last, I would say, five years, made by the TPMDA. One of the main challenges or gaps that was noticed in Japan is the drug lag. Whenever a drug was approved globally, the PMDA requested to conduct a phase one PK study before any Japanese patient would be able to join a global phase two or a global phase three. This has caused a lot of delay in approving new products and putting new products on the market in Japan compared to the rest of the world. That has changed. The PMDA has been more open to have patients, Japanese patients, joining global phase three trials sooner than in the past. And there has been some indications that this is working. And we are seeing now a shortening of the drug like in the Japanese market. And this is where we have been supporting that and pushing as well from a regulatory standpoint to be able to bring new medicines to patients in Japan. And does that mean then that Japanese pharma re-evaluating sort of protocol designs, how can we be in a position to leverage some of the work that we've done to support better design studies? Because I would imagine that Japanese companies, Japanese pharma and biotech are very interested in developing their assets for launch outside of Japan. Yes, most of the pharma companies, the global ones and the Japanese one, understood the benefits of these recent regulatory changes. They are aware that adding a small sub-cohort into a global phase three with a few Japanese patients was going to help from a PK study perspective to incorporate more patients into that specific global phase three. So that's something that most of our customers know and they benefit from that. And this is included at the beginning in the protocol that is developed by the pharma companies, ultimately leading to a better and faster approval of new medicines in Japan. And I would imagine then that because of that efficiency, they're also seeing a more attractive pricing when it comes to the actual overall cost of developing a drug. Yes, because technically in the past, when you were supposed to try to put on the market a new drug in Japan, you had to conduct a full phase one PK study. And that's something that was taking a couple of years from the moment you planned for it. So from a financial perspective, yes, it's all benefits here as well. Thinking a little bit wider across the markets in Japan, what are you seeing as the current trends and what can we anticipate that will happen in terms of the next evolution in the country? Since 2012, I've seen a 
big evolution from the Japanese pharmaceutical markets. Japanese companies traditionally were very domestic, and this has evolved drastically. We are seeing now more and more pharmaceutical companies, Japanese ones, going abroad, conducting not only local studies, but regional pan-Asian trials and global trials. I'm not talking only about the big ones, but as well the mid-sized pharma and the small biotech in Japan. They are expanding outside their own countries, which is something new. Does that mean then that those organizations would be looking for global support? Does it change the dynamic of how CROs would want to interact with Japanese customers who are looking to go outside of Japan? You know, I know we've spoken previously about Japan specificity. Maybe you could sort of share your insight into what that means for those companies going outside of Japan. I think for Japanese companies putting to go to work in Asia and or globally, there is some level of education awareness that we will bring to them. Same level as when an organization outside Japan would like to conduct a study in Japan, there is a level of understanding of the local specificity of conducting a clinical trials in Japan. It's very different. One of the key words I'm hearing most of the time is Japan is different. And trust me, it's true. Japan is very different. I've got a, many examples of the local specifics in Japan. It's very technical, but the site initiation visits, visits that you conduct at site for the first time to open the sites for recruitment. Globally, it's one visit, one day. In Japan, it's up to five visits. So it's quite different. The other very specific thing that I found interesting, as an example, the monitoring visit follow-up letter that was supposed to CRA is handling through the sites. That's something that you cannot send either by email or by mail to a site. The CRA has to hand deliver that letter to the investigator. So that's a couple of examples here that are indicating that market from a clinical research perspective is very, very specific. And so my advice to anyone who has never worked in Japan and who would like to conduct a study in Japan is get information from your local affiliates for people who have experience because this is going to create a lot of surprises. So it's not necessary that companies put sponsors outside of Japan. They should not be detracted or distracted by going to Japan because of those specificities. So long as, I think what I'm hearing from you is that so long as you've got somebody or a group on the ground in Japan who can help walk them through some of those intricacies of running trials at the sites. Yes, yes, definitely. As I said, it's a very specific environment. And if you enter that environment for the first time, you may be surprised. Ultimately, once you know, it's easy. But there are some very specific aspects that need to be factored in and understood if you want to conduct efficiently a study in Japan. Switching gears a little bit, what are you seeing in terms of trends for running trials in Japan in particular therapeutic areas? Where are we seeing the biggest growth therapy-wise? I would say I've looked at that recently, and I don't see any significant difference between Japan and the rest of Asia. Oncology is the main therapeutic area. In Asia, oncology, as, as I said, is the first easiest indication. Japan is the same. There's a strong focus on oncology, for oncology in Japan. Sineos Health, obviously a clinical and commercial 
provider of services to help companies launch their assets. So not only do the clinical work, but also look downstream in terms of commercials. What's the landscape in Japan like for such service providers? How are companies, CROs, organizing themselves? Is there a difference between global players and domestic players in the region? Yes, there is. The first CRO in Japan it's, was established in 1993. That's a local CRO. I won't mention names. So that was the first CRO in Japan. Then the other big players from a CRO perspective came around 1995. And in that aspect, Japan has two main types of CROs. The local ones, more focused on domestic work traditionally, and the global players like us. The local CROs, local players, are expanding or trying to expand their book of work in Asia and outside Asia. They are mainly doing that through partnerships, collaboration with other local CROs that are implemented worldwide. The global players like us, we have the ability to manage study in Japan because we are a global company and most of the global players have offices in Japan like us. And we have a Japanese workforce that knows the environment, but as well has a connection globally and is able to deliver projects from Japan all across the world. So these are the two main aspects of the zero environment in Japan. Local players, which can be very big, and the global players like Sineos Health, where we support global trials with our expertise in Japan. Looking ahead, Stefan, in terms of the Japan market and what is going to be the next big thing for Japan in terms of their innovation, development, market development, what are you seeing in terms of trends or any insight that you can give into that area? From a market perspective, it's going to be difficult for me to comment. But from a, a clinical research standpoint, there are many aspects that have not been implemented fully in Japan. One example. I'm talking about remote monitoring or risk-based approach from a clinical trial perspective. Japan is still implementing or discussing slowly about the options to implement these kind of new trends from a clinical research perspective into the current practice that are happening worldwide. There are several factors that are limiting those aspects. One of them is the relationship that the investigator wants to have with CRAs. So having remote monitoring conducted in Japan is something that is going to take a little bit more time to be implemented and to be effective. The risk-based approach monitoring perspective is here as well, but we are still a little bit behind compared to the rest of the world. I think what you're saying is there's change coming, but we may have to wait. <laughs> well, I mean, this is part of, uh, of Japan. The change is always there. And I've seen that evolution from a clinical research perspective since 2012. But it takes a little bit more time to be implemented. That's something that is embedded. It's cultural. And we're going to have to factor that in from a clinical research standpoint in order to ensure that we support these changes, we support the growth and the transformation at the pace that is going to be fitted for the country. Thank you, Stefan, for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Sineos Health Podcast, the APAC edition. I'm Robbie Chana. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for another episode, you can email us at podcast at If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and for more actionable insights to help you better execute and succeed in a constantly evolving environment, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub. You can find it at insightshub.health.
That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life. Thank you.